The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler. Real life stories about fighting. I like to tell stories. I like to hear stories. I like to watch stories. I like to listen to many people tell the same story to see how they do it. I love storytelling. That love of storytelling translates well when you're a trial lawyer. It's another thing I think that should be considered when you look at the lack of diversity in the legal profession. When you have lack of diversity, you have lack of perspective. When you have lack of perspective, you have habits or ways of doing things that tend to be pretty uniform. And the law is really guilty of squelching a lot of creativity because of the stringent protocols involved. But as time has evolved, those protocols have given way because the juries of today are so different than the juries of years past, decades past, centuries past. People are busier. The willingness to spend time is shorter. People's attention spans are super tight. Some of this is correlated to what people watch on TV or the movie theaters or the internet. The soundbite way of doing things is becoming more normative in our society. And so sitting people down and presenting them with tons of information and data and long-winded sentences and highfalutin language and piles of witnesses who repeat themselves, that doesn't work. Trial has to include a way for people to weed through, but it also has to enchant. It also has to draw the attention. It also has to keep the attention. So storytelling is really super duper important. CVN, Courtview Network, is publishing its top trials of the decade, and I was nominated for the most unconventional, creative, and effective opening, along with three other white male attorneys, one of whom put on a chicken soup, but the other ones, it was just more oratorial in nature. Unconventional. What does that mean? That means it's not conventional. Conventional meaning the way that we've always done it. And so being unconventional, I don't think is a badge of honor. I think it's just the way that things are moving forward in the law and in trials in particular, which is to get out of the norm, to get out of the past, to stop being boring, and to start entertaining more. And I don't mean entertaining in a frivolous way. I mean entertaining in a sense-engaging type of way. So I want to talk about the very beginning of storytelling, which is the theming of the story. I'm not going to tell you how you do it. Uh, There's not a formula for creating a theme. I've gone to education seminars and I've seen people teach ways of theming that is so tedious and gruesome that it just zaps all the joy out of the process. I am not a spreadsheet analysis type of person when it comes to telling a story. I am not going to sit down there and make lists and then go through the lists and then highlight and then 
you know, do all this rigmarole to come up with a theme. I used to do that because that's what our conventional method was. Oh, you have to have a theme. Well, this is how you do it. You analyze this and then you do this and then you look at this keyword and then you create the keyword list and then you blah, 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 blah. It was so daunting. No one could ever figure out how to do a theme. And then once they did, then they tried to fit the whole case to the theme. And it's pretty hard to fit an entire fact pattern to one theme. So that's issue number one. I like theming, but I also don't believe that there's just one theme. There can be sub themes. There can be corollary themes. Theming is good and theming doesn't even need to be expressed. You don't even need to tell people your theme, although sometimes you do. So for me, doing the theme of the story is critical and essential, but it doesn't take me a lot of time in terms of I'm not sitting down doing it in an analytic type of way. I think that is tortuous and not fun. I want to have fun because if I can have fun and be engaged, then then I have a hope of being able to engage my audience. Well, you may not know this because I never almost ever say it, but my themes pretty much all begin with the same four words. What do you think those words are? Once upon a time. I grew up with fairy tales. I um, was a voracious reader. We did not have online or Kindles or any of that. Uh, and we didn't have Amazon to send us books. So that meant either I got what was given to me or I found or I borrowed or I went to the library. And we had a library in uh, a shopping center called Lake Forest Park Shopping Center which was mm, maybe two miles away from the house. When I was little, my parents used to take us down there once a week by car. When I got older, I could ride my bike down there. But once a week, we would go to the library and check out books and then return the other books. And I had read every single fairy tale in that library many times over. I would have to check them all out I actually read, uh, I was a voracious reader. I've always been. And nowadays, as I'm an older person, everyone I know reads before they go to bed, but I've never been able to do that because when I read, <laughs> I won't go to sleep. Um, when I was younger, I would read and then my dad would come to check on us and I would stick that book under my pillow and you know begin to evenly breathe until he walked away. And then I would pull out, I would typically have a flashlight and you could just aim it on your pillow. So it was down at the page and I could read all through the night and not sleep maybe one or two hours. I just never wanted to put the book down because it, to me, it was engrossing and I like to be in that world. I like to be transported. It was fascinating and fun. And I got to experience things that way that I couldn't living in the outer regions of Lake Forest Park in suburban Seattle at the time. Now it's, now it's not as suburban. Now it's its own city, Lake City, Lake Forest Park, I mean. 
Yeah, there's the Lake City, Lake Forest Park. There's a lot of lakes, lakes that are cities in the Seattle area. Anyway, that has stood me well in the fact that part of my job is coming up with stories because actually I don't even come up with the stories. The stories are just before me and I interpret them as stories and I frame them as stories. And as I'm looking at everything, I'm piecing the story together. So I know in your mind, you're thinking, well, you know, this must be a ferocious trial attorney. And yet imagine someone that's eight years old going to the library, reading with their book uh, and a, and a uh, flashlight all through the night because they just don't want to put that story down or having the dreams of being in the stories afterwards, which I did. One of my favorite and most horrible, I used to have many dreams, but I will tell you one before we get back to this just again so you can get some some idea of, of what these were like. So my reoccurring dream that I had from the time I was a little child until I was darn near around 30. Um, so I think it ended before I had my own children. So maybe I was in my late 20s. And it was a combination of who knows what. Uh, but a, 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 a conglomeration of stories and probably the whale and Pinocchio. Because what would happen was that I was in my house and in our upstairs bathroom, there was a cabinet under the sink. And under the cabinet, there was a wood slab and you could lift it up. It was really light. There was a handle on it. And then you threw your laundry down there and it ended up in the cabinet downstairs directly in the laundry room slash bathroom below our top bathroom. So it was a, like a laundry chute that ended up in a cabinet. And actually we used to shoot ourselves up and down that cabinet. <laughs> we were human laundry. It was a big, huge playtime thing of ours. Anyway, as long as we could fit in it. Anyway, so in my dream, I hop down the laundry chute and I'm always waiting to hop down the laundry chute. I can't wait. And once I hop down the laundry chute, I'm not in the laundry cabinet, but I'm in my other world and I'm on top of my friend, the beluga whale. Unlike Pinocchio, this is not a gray whale. This is a little beluga whale, a killer whale, black and white. <laughs> or however, however they make that sound. Oh, that's a dolphin. Never mind. Anyway, I'm on the whale, which is way bigger than a porpoise or a dolphin. It's whale size, but I can sit on it and it flies. The whale flies everywhere. We go everywhere. Um, and I have this dream for so many years and it takes me on so many adventures. This is who I am. So my four words are once upon a time. Because that's perspective I come with as an unconventional trial lawyer. I'm not a white male. I'm different. And the differences may not always be perceived well. Uh, I know that people have thought over, over the years, and I've always been like this, that where does she come up with this stuff or, you know, how does she come up with this stuff or she's making this up or she's not genuine or whatever they want to say about you, the haters. Uh, but for me, it really comes just from my fanciful mind. I've always been like this. So once upon a time, 
and I'll take you through some cases that I've come up, how I've come up with what they were. And, and then, um, go into really the, the guts of it, which is the human stories, which is why I really just love, uh, talking about my clients and, and helping to present their cases. So once upon a time, so I had a case involving a pilot who was wearing a captain's hat when he entered onto a shuttle bus van. He was the last in the row of various other crew members. They'd spent the night over in Seattle and they were getting back on that shuttle van to take them uh, back to the airport and it was a holiday inn. And there was a low hang on it. It was kind of a modified van and there was a metal strip at the top that may or may not have had red, red tape on it. Several other people saw it and were able to avoid it, bent down. But it was raining. The captain mounted. His head was probably down a little bit because it was raining. And he walked right into it and suffered a, a major concussion. It was gashed. It was bleeding. They had to disembark from the from the van. He thought he could make it, but it was bleeding too much. It was coming down. And then... Because he was a pilot, he was grounded for a year and a half. He couldn't fly. Well, the defense attorney told me and the judge in open court that it was the stupidest case he'd ever had. And my very loving supporting partners at the time, we were all partners, we had no associates, were taking bets on how many hours it would take before the defense verdict came in. And as I was getting ready to try that case and listening to the uh, hoots and hollers of my, of my partners. And it had to be tried. There was no offer and he'd missed a year and a half of work, which for a pilot is a couple hundred thousand dollars just in and of itself. Even though this was mm, probably 15 years ago, something like that, 14 or 15 years ago. So as I was preparing for trial and I've always had uh, PowerPoint for the past two decades. So I was preparing my PowerPoint for opening and I was thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose this case because the way that I was looking at it was this, this, uh, the pilot here was, here was the case was the pilot who bonked his head getting into the shuttle bus. Okay. I knew that if that was the case, once upon a time, there was a pilot who bonked his head getting into a shuttle bus. I was going to lose it nine times out of 10. Or 10 times out of 10. Going to lose that case. And then I started looking at how, how I needed, how, what, what was a better way of looking at the case? Because that was the loser. And I always look at what the losing theme is because I was a defense attorney and it's good to know how you're going to lose a case. In fact, it's great to know how you're going to lose a case because, returning to my fairy tales, if you build your house out of straw, the big bad wolf will blow it down. If you build your house out of mud, the big bad wolf will blow it down. You want to build your house out of the strongest stuff you can possibly make so the big bad wolf won't blow it down. Yes. Anyway, so in looking at this case, I thought about it and I couldn't come up with a theme. I was like, all I could think of was, oh my God, the pilot that, walked into the shuttle bus, <laughs> the pilot who, the pilot 
who knows how to get into confined spaces who walked into the shuttle bus. And I did not do what uh, you should do, I guess, if you take uh, legal, legal studies and do it the conventional way, which is to somehow come up with this theory after doing all of this testing and et cetera. What I did was what I normally do, which is to blank out my mind and get out of the case. This is, I talked about this before, and for me, it's the most absolutely critical. And that is that I go for a run, which is the time when I meditate. It's a time when I turn off my mind, stop trying to check boxes and go through lists, and just let it freely engage in any kind of synapse it wants to. Well, my default are to fairy tales because that's what I grew up with. That's what I love. Voracious reader. I mean, if, and fairy tales from all different countries. Again, library. So it wasn't like just uh, uh, Hansel and Gretel. It was the Arabian Nights. It was Japanese. It was Russian. It was, you know, Chinese. It was all these fairy tales from all these different places not just the Disney ones. In fact, they didn't have, Disney didn't even have a fairy tale book back then. So this is what I came up with. For some reason, I, I kept thinking of this book that I read as a little kid to my brothers and sisters, and it was my old book, and it was called The Little Engine That Could. The Lid- Little Engine That Could. And it chug, and it chug, and it chug, 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 all the way up the mountain. You know, if you know that story and you have little kids, you were ever a little kid, and you should have read that story. It's such a delightful book. Well, this little engine, of course, couldn't. And so that's where the theme, that's what happened, was the little engine that could became the crappy shuttle van that couldn't. (laughs) That was the theme of my case. The crappy shuttle van that couldn't, that didn't. That shouldn't have. That should never have even been in existence. And that's how I went at the case. I won't, I, I will tell you that it wasn't just the fact that that was the theme of the case, but that I was a shuttle van in opening. I am a 1972 Ford Fairline, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And I don't set the stage. I am now going to be a crappy shuttle van. Join my journey. I just am. When I say that, I just am, people think, yeah, it sounds good, but you can't really. You can't really just do that. People will think that you're faking it. I hear that all the time. They're going to think you're just faking it. That is not authentic. It's not real. Well, I object to that. First of all, I think fairy tales are real. They're real because they exist and they allow us to explore other realms and to have fanciful thoughts, just as all fiction does and all writing does and storytelling and movies and everything. Our dream dreams escape. They're real. They may not be real life, but they're real and they're a shared experience. People know these fairy tales or stories. A lot of people do at least. So when I do it, because I'm not doing it for applause, I'm doing it to tell the story. The audience, after one second of thinking, what is she doing? They just get into it. 
because they're being entertained not to make them laugh or joyful or to make them crack up, but because it's the best way to tell the story in a way that hopefully quickly, succinctly, and interestingly will present the facts. In the Ride of the Ducks case, I've talked about this before, I'll go very fast. I came up with how I was going to tell the story less than a week, a couple days before uh, opening started. I knew what the story generally was, but not how I was going to actually be, quote, unconventional. And uh, we ordered on one day Amazon shipping a captain's hat and a duck whistle because you can get duck whistles on Amazon or from somewhere. Uh, And I was the captain. And so it was once upon a time, there was a captain of a duck boat. And my opening line was basically, I am Captain so-and-so. I'm here to take you on a journey. I'll tell you everything that I know and everything I don't know. And everything you don't know, of course, is the bad stuff that the case is about. So that's the theming with me. Uh, And it's different. I don't go through checklists. It comes out of my willingness to not think like a lawyer all the time, to realize that the main binding glue between all of us is our shared experience as human beings. Certainly not our experiences, us being lawyers and the jury mostly not being a lawyer. Sharing my experience as a lawyer makes no sense. It lands nowhere. It does nothing. So then let's move to the story of the plaintiff. Exactly the same. The same four words. Once upon a time. Again, I don't say them, but that's what makes my story for that character. And the character can be the plaintiff and the character can be the defendant. And I really do believe in making the defendant a character because they're the bad guys. (laughs) You got to make them a character. So I'm That can be for another time, but I love once upon a time and then talking about the client. Once upon a time, there was a father. Once upon a time, there was a mother. Once upon a time, there was a sister. Once upon a time, there was a child. Once upon a time, there was a grandmother or a grandfather. Once upon a time, Those four words are just special. They let you go beyond the confines of lawyer logic and bring in the wonder that exists within all humans. The data doesn't matter where they went to school, what grades they got, what color their hair was. I mean, this is not, again, a universal factor. What's, what, what people want to hear about is the hopes, the dreams, the failures, the challenges, 
the triumphs, the concerns, the worries, those feelings that accompany them. When you talk about pain, for example, some people want to talk about it in ways that are so removed. Letting a doctor, for example, talk about pain only, although, let me say, if it's a burn doctor, let them talk about pain because their whole world is about understanding pain and the clients that, and patients that have to go through it. But for most doctors, surgeons, for example, they're going to fix it, and then the person may have pain or may not. Bringing pain into, a, into the world of a trial means being able not to say, yeah, it's really bad, or it hurts me all the time. It's painting a story of pain. What is pain? How does it act? What does it do? What does it feel like? Why does it matter? What was it like without pain? What's it going to be like with a lot of pain? Once upon a time are my favorite four words. I hope you have good luck in using them or whatever other vehicle you need to tell your story. Tell your story. Tell your client's story. In a way that people can feel and understand. Over and out.